I doubt tonight that any of us would uh, consider ourselves to be of exceptional intelligence. I think most of us probably feel like, you know, we're just kind of intellectually middle class. You know what I'm saying? We don't feel like we are incredibly smart, but none of us feel like we're incredibly dumb either. We might not could do brain surgery, but some of y'all can sew a quilt or rebuild an engine. We might not be book smart, but we're street smart. We can do enough to get by, can't we? Um, but there's still something inside of each of us that wants to be thought of as smart, don't we? I mean, we might know that we're never going to be asked to join Mensa. We, we don't have maybe genius-level intellect, most of us, but we don't want people to think we're dumb, do we? And I've noticed this, this kind of phenomenon happening in life. I noticed it especially when the quarantine was really, really bad and nobody had anything to do but uh, fight on Facebook all day long. I noticed that people started sharing these riddles back and forth, these word problems. And the idea behind these games was if you share this problem and you can answer this problem, uh, you can come up with a solution, then you can put it out there and see if any of your friends are smart enough to answer. So you get to prove how much smarter you are than everybody else. One of the problems goes like this. You walk into a room with 34 people in the room. And five minutes later, a gunman walks into the room and kills 30 people in the room. How many people are in the room? And I know some of y'all are going to spend the rest of the time in church saying, okay, now if you've got 34 and you add two, but 30 of them are dead, and then that leaves you with... So I know you're going to spend the rest of your time doing math, but we do want to prove, hey, we get it, right? We want to prove we're not dummies. We want to prove that our intelligence is at least adequate. And I see it all around us, don't you, when we're talking about, well, you know, this expert said that these masks just aren't that good for you. And I agree with this expert. Look how smart I am because I agree with Dr. Bottlestopper over here. And we say, no, 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 this other expert over here, this other world-renowned doctor, he said that these masks are the only way that we're ever going to beat this coronavirus, and I agree with him. Look at these people, how dumb they are going to church to gather together tonight, and I am so glad that I trust the Lord more than these other people, and look how right I am. That's in us, isn't it? That need to be right. That need to prove we get it. That need to be connected. That need to say, hey, we are on the right side of any issue that you want to name. But here's the problem in all of that. Well, all of that is a problem, but here's a deeper problem in all that. We live in a world tonight where as Bible-believing Christians, the things that we believe as essential to our faith are looked down on as foolish. We believe tonight that God created everything in six days and that he put man in a perfect world And that that man ruined that perfect world and every single problem in the world, whether it's a natural disaster, a political problem, a relationship problem, or a health problem, exists because a talking snake talked that man into eating a piece of fruit. People look at that and think, that's stupid. And we go even further and say, well, you may not really understand because the only way that you are ever going to be saved from this mess that we are in is by a carpenter who died on a cross and then rose again from the dead. People don't rise again from the dead. And people may look at that and think, that is foolishness. And there may be a temptation in some of us to distance ourselves from that message. There may be a temptation in some of us to prove we're not that (laughs) dumb to believe all of that. Look how capable we are. Look at what we do believe. Look at the things we get right. Well, the Apostle Paul is going to address this particular problem in the life of the church of Corinth tonight. As he helps this church think about thinking. And he's going to tell them this. He says, the wisdom of the world is not compatible with the truth of the gospel. 
But what the truth of the gospel offers us is not just a different or a better wisdom, but it offers us the very mind of Christ. It offers us an uncommon sense. That's what we're going to talk about tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 6. And I'll ask you to stand with me as we read the word of God together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 6. And if you ever find yourself always wanting to be the smartest person in the room, this might help you tonight. And if you ever get tired of being around people who think they're the smartest person in the room, this will help you this evening. Paul says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we have uh, already seen in our study of the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday night, the church of Corinth is a church that is divided. This is a church that is in the midst of conflict. And on the surface, their division is not really over anything all that terrible. Uh, they are divided and kind of lining up in different tribes based upon who their favorite preacher is. Some of them have said, well, you know, we, we just identify so strongly with Paul. And others have said, nah, man, forget about Paul. We love to hear uh, Simon Peter bring and thunder the word to us. But this had led to a, a sort of competition, or it led to at least a spirit where some people didn't trust others, where some people looked down on others, and some people judged others because they are not like us. And ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, we have been tempted to think in terms of us and them. We get it. They don't. We are not like them. And that was happening in the church of Corinth. And the reason Corinth was, most, was probably so susceptible to this is because they were so wrapped up in their uh, connection to Greek philosophy. And Greek philosophers were people dating back to Socrates and Aristotle and Plato who tried to figure out the way the world worked. They tried to speculate, this is where we came from, and this is why the world is the way it is, and this is ultimate reality, and this is the way that we know ultimate reality. And down through the years, those philosophers had kind of branched into different schools of thinking and Epicureanism and Stoicism and on and on and on. And those divides between philosophers who disagreed were every bit as sharp as disagreements in our culture today between Republicans and Democrats. It was very clearly laid out who you belong to and who you didn't belong to and how your group understood the world. Your group was 
right. Your group had it figured out. And the rest of these dummies, they need to get on board with what is obvious to the really, really smart people. In fact, the word philosophy or the word philosopher comes from two Greek words, which means to love wisdom. Phileo means to love and sophos means wisdom. These people said, we get it. And now the church had said, we get it because Paul is our guy. We get it because Peter is our guy. Look how smart we are. Look how connected we are. Look how in tune we are. And look how much better off we are than those people in our own church who aren't as spiritual as we are. They're not as right as we are. They're just not as smart as we are. And Paul's going to come to them and say, this kind of thinking is worldly wisdom. And this kind of thinking is not compatible with the gospel. Because worldly wisdom did not help us understand the gospel. Worldly wisdom is embarrassed by the gospel. And worldly wisdom can never give us what the gospel gives us, which is the ability to think the way Jesus himself thinks. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the end of the sermon now. If the gospel gives us the mind of Christ, as the Bible says it does in verse number 16, the mind of Christ is never obsessed about being right. The mind of Christ is never trying to prove itself by how intelligent it is. The mind of Christ is able to serve. The mind of Christ is able to overlook people who disagree about things that really don't matter. The mind of Christ is able to understand what things do matter. And the mind of Christ is able to forgive offenses. How do we get the mind of Christ? Paul says we have this uncommon sense through the wisdom portrayed and offered to us by the Spirit in the gospel. So how does this come to us? Well, let's look at it in three ways tonight. First, let's talk about the limitations of human understanding. That's where Paul begins in verse number 6. Now, to understand his argument here, you have to piggyback off of what he said in verses 1 through 5. And he's told the Corinthians, listen, when I came and preached to you, I did not come and preach in such a way that your faith would be built upon my words or upon my ability to preach or my ability to present an argument. He says, I do not want your faith resting in human wisdom. I want your faith resting in the power of God. But Paul does have wisdom to offer. That's what he says in verse number 6. He says, but I do impart wisdom to the mature. Not a wisdom of this age nor a wisdom of this world that is passing away, but the divine wisdom of God. And what Paul is doing in this chapter is he is uh, contrasting human wisdom and he's contrasting divine wisdom. And so maybe we should start tonight by understanding right away that the Apostle Paul was himself an educated person. The Apostle Paul is one of the most brilliant thinkers in the history of humanity. The Apostle Paul even connected the life of the believer to the life of the mind. He says that our daily walk is a product of the way that we think. And the Bible teaches us that. The Bible says in Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We are a product of the way we think. We are taught to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. The Apostle Paul said himself in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then Paul says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How am I, how am I transformed to live a life that honors God? By the renewing of my mind. By thinking differently. By learning how to think biblically. Christians do not become more like Jesus by thinking less. Christians become more like Jesus by thinking more and by thinking better. And to go a step further, the Apostle Paul, even in Scripture, you can find it in Acts 17, you can find it in Titus 1, the Apostle Paul quoted Greek philosophers. 
He knew what they taught, and he was not afraid to look at their arguments. And he even understood that their quest for truth was not only inevitable, but in many ways beneficial. But the Apostle Paul, as somebody who had seen Christ Jesus, could see what all of those Greek philosophers and all their speculation could not see. And that is, Paul could see how blind they were. Because Paul could see what God alone could reveal, which is the truth about Christ. And this is what he's getting at here. He's saying this is a wisdom that no human being would ever come up with. These are secrets that no human being could ever discover, but that God has made known. That the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ shows us the hidden secret wisdom of God that is revealed only through the Spirit that embarrasses the best and the brightest of this world. Now, I want you to think about our human intelligence tonight. We live in, I think, what is undeniably the smartest period in the history of the world. In one sense. In another sense, I'm kind of worried about some of us. You know what I'm saying? But technologically, scientifically, we are, in some ways, the smartest people that have ever lived. I didn't say we're the wisest people that have ever lived. The smartest people that have ever lived. But then again, the Corinthians would have said the same things. It's funny how that works, isn't it? We kind of have this chronological snobbery to think, hey, we've got everything figured out that nobody else knew. But... Let's just be real here. We live in an, in an age of incredible scientific and technological advancement. Human intelligence is everywhere for us to see in a way that people reading the book of 1 Corinthians for the first time couldn't understand. Could you imagine them being in a building with screens and lights and air conditioning and carpet? I mean, they couldn't fathom any of that. All these cars in the parking lot, that would blow their mind. Do you realize that where you sit right now, you are 15 minutes away from a place where there are robots that do brain surgery? That's pretty incredible. I got a news alert on my phone a couple, probably a couple months ago now, and my cell phone, which has more computing power in it than the space shuttles that took people to the moon. I got a news alert on that phone that said scientists think they're less than five years away from cloning dinosaurs. Now, I know that's a terrible idea because I saw Jurassic Park, right? <laughs> but think about the intelligence that goes into that. But for all of man's wisdom... The one thing he will never know on his own is he will never know the truth about God. He can speculate about God. He can develop any number of monstrosities about what he thinks God might be like. But he cannot know who God is on his own. In fact, man in his wisdom cannot really fully understand man left to himself. And you can look around in culture tonight and you can see this happening a dozen times a day at least on your television. And some politician or some pundit comes across telling you that they have the solution to every single problem humanity faces. They've got the answers to every challenge we're dealing with and they do not even know what the questions are. Paul says, until the Lord reveals truth, we are going to be in the dark. But he says God has lifted the veil for us. He has turned the light on to us because, verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. There is a secret wisdom and the secret wisdom is in the gospel of Jesus. He's not talking about any kind of advanced knowledge that the rest of us aren't privy to, but the simple message of Christ. And he says this is the message that the wisest people in the world missed. It's the one piece of the puzzle that they never got. It's the secret they were never clued in on. It's the one piece of evidence they always overlooked. Some of you maybe like mystery novels uh, or whodunits on TV. Amy and I, several years ago, we watched 
and they've made several movies on this, but, but the newest movie based on the Agatha Christie novel, Murder on the Orient Express. And Inspector Perot in that movie, he's on this train and it gets snowed in in an avalanche and then there's a murder and he's got to figure out, of course, who committed the murder. And I don't want to give away the end, but the whole train ride, everybody on the train was involved in the murder. And once you figure out that detail, everything, looking back, makes sense. Paul says that Jesus is the detail. And if you miss him, you miss it all. But once you see him, you see it all. That's what he says here, that even the rulers of the world in verse number 8, they would not have understood this. They didn't understand it because if they would have understood it, they would not have done what they did, which is crucify the Lord of glory. Human nature always looks over Jesus. Human nature always ignores him. Human nature never sees anything remarkable or spectacular or attractive in Jesus. And Paul says because of that, the rulers of this age looked over Jesus, tried to remove Jesus, and put Jesus on a cross and did not realize that they were playing right into the hands of a wise God who put Jesus on that cross to overthrow their own wisdom. Paul says in the cross of Jesus, God checkmated the wisdom of the world. Because they thought they were removing Jesus forever. And all they were doing was establishing the platform where every knee would bow to him. And every tongue would confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, look, this is divine wisdom on display that embarrasses and shames the wisest of this world. But as it is written, he says in verse number 9, he quotes Isaiah 64, 4. No eye has seen or ear heard. The heart of man cannot imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, we read that verse, and our minds are trained automatically to think about heaven. And that's true. Certainly, none of us are capable of understanding how glorious heaven will be. But that's not what Paul's really talking about here. What he's saying is that left to ourselves, our eyes cannot see all of the truth. Our ears cannot hear the truth. The heart of man cannot comprehend the truth. But verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. He says, God's Spirit has revealed what we could only speculate about. Understand today that the human mind can never conceive really of grace. The human mind can never understand the weight of one sin and what it would take to forgive that sin. The human mind can never conceive of the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God. Paul says we would never know that, but we do know it. And the reason we know it is because God disclosed it to us. And so he moves from the limitations of human understanding into the second thought I want to give you tonight, which is the revelation of divine understanding. If we can't know this on our own, how do we know it now? Paul says we know it now because the Spirit of God revealed this wisdom to us. See what he says in verse number 10? The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Then he asks the question, for who knows a person except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Paul says, what we can't see, what we don't know, the Spirit of God does see, and he does know because that Spirit of God is God. Now, for all the things that we do know about the Spirit of God, for all the things we don't know, for all the bad press that he gets, one thing we have to believe as Christians is that the Holy Spirit is God. And that the Holy Spirit corresponds in the Trinity to that part of us that is the internal us. As it were... There's a you on the inside that if I'm going to get to to know you, you have to disclose to me. I know me better than you know me. And you might could learn some things about me, but you're never really going to know my hopes and my fears and my expectations. You're never really going to know me until I open up. 
And there's a great picture of this that's happened in every single marriage for every person in here that's married. And that is this. Guys, have you ever, in the course of your marriage, said something, done something, and as soon as you did, you noticed there was an immediate temperature drop in your home. And you thought, okay, what happened? What have I done? What have I said? And you say, honey, what, what's wrong? It's like stepping into a landmine, isn't it? Like, honey, what's wrong? And she's going to say something to the effect of nothing. Honey, are you okay? I'm fine. Let me just say, ladies, your husband is a creature that is about as complex emotionally. He's just right above a dog. All right? You have to make it real simple for him. And if you tell him you are fine, that joker's dumb enough to believe you're fine. All right? If you tell him there's nothing wrong, he thinks, hey, I'm in the clear. But we know, don't we, guys? We know something's not right, but we just can't figure out until when. Until she says, hey, dummy, here's what you did. Here's where you are wrong. Here's what you said that hurt me or what you did that wasn't the way that I thought it should be or whatever. Until the inner man speaks up. We're not going to have any idea what's going on. The Lord says that, here Paul says, that the Lord's Holy Spirit is, in a manner of speaking, his inner man. And the Spirit of God who searches the deep things of God, who knows every thought in the heart of God, who understands perfectly the ways of God because He is God, that Spirit of God has revealed this truth to us. So in other words, we are not hopelessly lost groping about in the dark. We know what God is doing in Christ because the Spirit of God has made it known to us. And he says we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. God has freely made himself known to his people through the Spirit. And Paul says we, I take this to mean he and the, the other preachers that they're finding about, we just impart in these words. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul is getting at this great point. He's saying, listen, we know what we know because the Spirit of God has revealed it to us. Which means I can't take credit for what I know. I can't brag about what I know as if I'm smarter than somebody else. As if I'm more in tune. As if I am somehow more capable than another believer. Why? Because I know it because God taught it to me. I didn't figure it out on my own. It's not my mind that put it together. It's not my ability that reasoned it out. I didn't sit down and I didn't put pen to paper and I didn't come up with the right solution because of how intelligent I am. No, I am a product from start to finish of the work of the Spirit of God. So I cannot fall into that worldly kind of thinking where I want to prove myself right. Do you realize that in every single church conflict there's somebody somewhere trying to prove themselves right? Until somebody is big enough to say, you know, I was wrong and I need... You to forgive me. When churches fall apart, it's because somebody is saying, look at how much we get it and how these other people don't get it. We want to elevate ourselves. But Paul says, listen, the Spirit of God reveals himself, spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. In other words, spiritual people are different because they realize I'm a product of the work of the Spirit. That's the revelation of divine understanding. But as Paul finishes in verse 14... 
he finishes by telling us this third lesson, and that is that there is a liberation in our new understanding, or maybe a transformation in our new understanding. Verse 14, Paul reaffirms what he said before in kind of a more succinct way. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, he says the natural mind cannot and will not left to itself. It will not comprehend the truth of the gospel. There is nothing about God, nothing about Jesus, nothing about the truth in all of its beauty to us that is appetizing to somebody apart from the work of the Spirit of God. There's nothing about it that is palpable. There's nothing about it that is exciting or enjoyable until the Spirit of God creates in somebody an appetite for truth, it will simply never be there. And I think there's an important application for us as a church family tonight. And we should know that no matter what kind of lights we might put in this place, and I like colored lights, those are really cool, I think. But no matter what kind of smoke machines we might have, no matter what kind of music we might teach our band, until the Spirit of God works in somebody's heart, They are never going to understand the truth of the word. They are never going to have an appetite for the gospel. We should love them. We should overcome every single obstacle we possibly can while still being faithful to scripture. But ultimately there comes a point where the spirit of God has to go deeper than we can go. He has to do what we cannot do. And he has to illuminate their mind. And when he does, look out. Because then they'll never be satisfied with anything but truth. But until he does, they'll never have an appetite for it. They might have an appetite for a lot of things that are passed off as Christian. But they're not going to have an appetite for the gospel. They're not going to have an appetite for truth. Because the natural person, left to himself, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So, for us that have, we're, we're not smarter, we're not better. But Paul makes this point in verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. I read that, and maybe like you, when you first read it, I looked at it and think, now what in the world is he talking about? What what, what is this? Then I thought maybe this is the problem underneath the problem. The spiritual person is judged by no one. And I realized that this is what the Corinthians were struggling with, really. Their struggle deep down was the struggle... Of the fear of being rejected. The fear of being thought of as foolish. The fear of being thought of as ignorant, as backwoods, as naive, as uneducated. Because they believed in this simple message of a Savior crucified and risen again. And so because they were afraid of being rejected by the best and the brightest and the intelligent and the elite. They felt like they needed to find something they could latch on to. Whether it was Paul's preaching or Peter's preaching or whoever's preaching. To say, listen, I get it. I know you have this attitude that Christians are are backwoods, uneducated people that can't hardly tie their shoes and can't read their name in boxcar letters. That's not me. And let me prove that that's not me because of this thing that I identify with. And I want to tell you today, we do the exact same thing in churches, whether we realize it or not. We want to say, listen, I know maybe you have this bad taste in your mouth about Christians, but I'm not like that. I'm not like that because I believe black lives matter and blue lives matter and all lives matter. I'm not like those other people because I support Trump or I support Biden. I'm not like those other people because I'm a Calvinist or because I'm an Armenian. I'm not like those other Christians. And here's my tribe that proves I get it. Here's my tribe that proves I'm plugged in. Here's my tribe that proves how smart I am. But here's what Paul says. He says, 
Nobody gets it until the Spirit of God reveals it. Okay? Human wisdom cannot figure out the truth of the gospel on its own. God's Spirit has to reveal it. And left to themselves, human beings will never fully know God or grasp Christ or understand grace. They'll always overlook Jesus. So Paul says, why are you worried about the thoughts of these people when these people are not able to give an honest judgment about you because they don't understand the truth themselves? It's like this. I found this quote a couple weeks ago by Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is one of the most famous atheists in the world. He's like a Nobel Prize winning physicist who taught at Oxford University. He's one of the smartest people in the world. He said, it is absolutely safe to say that if you meet someone who claims not to believe in evolution, that would be us, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane. How does that make you feel? To know that an Oxford physicist says, you people are ignorant, stupid, or insane. Not real great, is it? Not real great. But that guy, as smart as he is, there's a piece of the puzzle that he's missing. And so he is not able to give me an honest appraisal of who I am. So why should I worry about what he thinks about me? Why should I live a life where I'm driven to prove myself to somebody like him? Why do I feel this insecurity that says, man, I've got to have people respect me and love me. And I've got to prove myself capable in their eyes. Paul says, no, those people cannot give an honest judgment of you. When we were in Guatemala... In March, uh, I can't remember exactly where we were, but I know Brother David was with me. And, and we were talking to these kids and trying to herd them and corral them. And, you know, we speak like three words of Spanish. Maybe a few more, but we don't know what they are. So we're just, you know, throwing stuff out there, doing the best that we can, trying to control all this chaos out there. And one of these kids, remember this? Remember that kid that just started cussing us out of nowhere in English? This kid was, what, seven or eight? And he just cut loose. And, and he, he, for about 30 seconds, he just, you know, cussed half a mile of blue ruin. It was unbelievable. I was, I was stunned. I don't know where this kid learned these cuss words. And I know he's never met my mama, so I don't know where all this came from. And I was, I was just like, what? And we, we tried to communicate to him, you know, for what good it did. Listen, these are words that you don't say. But look, did it bother me that that kid cussed me? No. You know why? Because he had no idea what he was saying. He didn't have the ability in his mind to know these words are bad and they're hurtful and I'm going to use them to hurt this guy that I don't know. Why would we get so upset and worried and afraid about what this world thinks about us when this world is continually overlooking the one piece of the puzzle that matters? And so Paul says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He's quoting from Isaiah chapter number 40. Who has ever been in a position where they could ever give any counsel or information or advice to the Lord that he didn't already have? But Paul says, but even though we can't do that, we do have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. You know what's incredible about the mind of Christ? Is that Jesus in this world, he was himself rejected by the best and brightest, wasn't he? They neglected him, ignored him, spit in his face and killed him. But he loved them. He served them. He forgave them. He offered up his life for them. That's what Paul is calling this church in Corinth to. He's saying, look, there are going to be people in the church that aren't going to be part of your tribe. But they are part of his body. They're not going to think about every issue the way that you do. But listen, those are people that have been saved by the work of the Spirit of God. 
And you should love those people. You should serve those people. You should care for those people because that's what Jesus has done for you. And if you have his mind, you are going to live his life. You're going to think his thoughts. A Christian is somebody who's had a mind transplant. Friends, we need that, don't we? Because I find in myself that tendency to prove how right I am. To argue about things that really just do not matter. To have the last word, to have the most witty and sarcastic remark so that it proves just how right I am. That's not the mind of Christ, is it? The mind of Christ serves. The mind of Christ is humble. The mind of Christ loves. And the mind of Christ trusts in the Lord. The mind of Christ doesn't see it has anything to prove. The mind of Christ doesn't see it has anything to lose. The mind of Christ is transformed by the work of the Spirit. As we stand together today, and as we prepare to have an invitation, most of us maybe are used to having invitations where we come to an altar and we repent of smoking cigarettes and cussing and going to the movies and all that kind of thing. What we need to repent of is true worldliness. And all that other stuff may be a symptom of worldliness, but true worldliness comes down to the way you think. It comes down to thinking the way the world thinks. And many of us think the way these Corinthians were thinking. We're thinking we've got to be right. We've got to prove ourselves. We've got to matter. We've got to be respected. And we'll do that at any cost, even if it damages our church or relationship with another believer. We've got to prove that we are right. That is worldly thinking that needs to be repented of. It needs to be brought to Jesus. Say, Lord, give me your mind so that I can serve you, so I can love you. We're going to sing together today. And if you need to come or if you need to do business with the Lord right there, you, you do that.